Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature mixed media abstract artist Nanette Carter. She grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, and received her MFA from the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Nanette has received many grants, fellowships, and awards throughout her career. Most recently, in 2021, she was granted the Anonymous Was a Woman Award. Also in 2021, she was a program curator and a participant in Creating Community, Sinke Gallery Artists at the Art Students League in New York. Last summer, she was included in the Parish Art Museum's exhibition, Affinities for Abstraction, Women Artists on the Eastern End of Long Island, curated by Alicia Longwell. Nanette has exhibited nationally and internationally with solo exhibitions in the U.S., Cuba, Syria, Italy, and Japan. Her work is in numerous corporate and museum collections, including the Perez Museum in Miami, the National Museum of Fine Arts Museum in Havana, Cuba, the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Art, the Student Museum in Harlem, the Yale University Art Gallery, to name a few. She recently retired from the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, where she was professor of art for over 20 years. Her current exhibition, titled Nanette Carter, Shape Shifting, is currently on view through May 27th at the Barry Campbell Gallery in New York. Thank you so much for joining this episode featuring Nanette Carter. Nanette, I want to thank you for joining me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. My pleasure. When did you discover your artistic passion? Yeah, I believe it was around fifth or sixth grade elementary school. Um, my mother gave me some colorful stationery that I was supposed to be writing thank you letters with. And I ended up uh, collaging them and making them into what really ended up being geometric abstractions. Of course, I didn't know at the time they were geometric abstractions, but that's what they were. But I was doing this on my bed. And I like to say that my first studio was on my bed <laughs> because I would draw, I could do collages. I didn't, I wasn't painting, you know, this was all dry kind of medium. The only thing that was wet was my glue. And uh, I just remember enjoying putting these shapes together and then I would give them to friends. And the responses were all positive. They loved the colors, they loved the shapes. And something happened then. I just, I got so much pleasure from not only creating it, but also bringing smiles and pleasure to other people. And these are my friends who are again, you know, in fifth or sixth grade. But uh, I think that something happened there in particular that just 
really kind of ruminated and just kind of got me going. And, and ever since then, I've been, I've been creating. When you got older, do you recall if there was a particular artist that really influenced your focus? I loved the Baroque artist. I loved Caravaggio for the drama in his work. Uh, when I met Al Loving and Frank Wimberly, Frank I met when I was 13, I really loved their collages and their sense of color. Both of these men are colorists. And then as I grew up a little bit older and was really beginning to see other artists, I really loved the mystical quality of Bryce Marden's painting. I loved those uh, sort of ephemeral lines sometimes that were just moving across the canvas really quite beautiful. And I love the physicality of David Hammond's work and Leonardo Drew. Leonardo's last show at Gallery Leilong was just amazing. I love these relief pieces that he builds on the walls. So that really, for me, was very moving. I also liked Joan Mitchell. I liked her for her painterly mark making. I really feel that many times she's actually kind of drawing with the brush. And I, I loved, I love her color. I love her palette also. So there, there's so many artists, you know, that I, over the years that I have uh, really grown to love and I love to see. And I just went to see the Joan Mitchell show, in fact, at the Baltimore Museum. So I was really just, you know, in heaven enthralled seeing the work from her early days uh, to her later period. It was a great retrospective. That's great. How, how would you define your practice? Yeah, my practice is built around particular themes that kind of ignite my, my energy, uh, along with working with forms, color, line, and texture in order to give you an example of these themes, of what, what I'm thinking about. I think the challenge, of course, is doing this in an abstract vein. But because of the way that I'm situating these shapes, the way I choreograph these shapes, I think that one, once they read the title also, will understand where I'm coming from. But on the other hand, as an abstract artist, I don't mind if the viewer sees something totally different, if their imagination enters into the piece, I love it. If they see something totally different, that's fine with me. But I need that theme when I'm in the studio. It's really to help me. It's really what gets me going. Again, it, it ignites my, my energies, my enthusiasm. And uh, you know, many of my themes, for instance, uh, one particular that I had just at the turn of the millennium was called slightly off keel, which is a sailing term, meaning that you're moving at a clip. There's no stopping, you know, you don't have brakes, you're in a sailboat, it's a sailing term, and the boat is tilted. And so you have to get your balance. And that's the way I was feeling moving into the millennium. It was just this idea of technology and, again, just moving into this new millennium and uh, all that was going on in my life and I think in other people's lives at that time. And, uh, yeah, so the themes are, are what propel me, truly. 
And when did the titles of the work enter the creative process? You know, it's kind of interesting. I was yeah, thinking about that, actually. I, I believe sometimes the titles come before the work, and sometimes the titles come once I've started the first two pieces. But I actually think they come before. And the titles and themes are really coming from my reading of the New York Times. I'm a pretty avid reader. I still have the hard copy delivered to me every day, which has been going on for over 30 years now. And so reading these different stories, things that are happening internationally, I kind of build on that. And that's what gets me moving. I, I take some ideas like moving into the you know, new millennium or these recent pieces cantilevered, which is really this idea of balancing, balancing all that's going on, all this information, all of our responsibilities, all that's going on in terms of this pandemic. These are the things that just really just get me going. And uh, so I think it's the title. The titles actually come first, I do believe. So, so what, what overcomes you when you start to work on a, on a new piece? Yeah, and again, I think it is the themes. You know, it's these themes that I take on that I feel that I need to put out my, my immediate reactions about the themes. And again, I love this idea of choreographing the colors and, and trying to also... Um, evoke some kind of tension because most of my topics have a bit of tension in them in terms of the questions that I'm asking or, or what I'm trying to lay out. Um, all of that just gets me going. I just, you know, and, and I love to work with my hands. I think that's the bottom line. I love to work with my hands, my mind and my soul, my heart. And so just being able to, to work, and now I'm retired, so I'm working full time, um, it just feels so good. I, I love the themes. I love what I'm trying to put forth. And do you listen to music while you're working? I listen to jazz primarily, sometimes classical music. And I also listen to R&B. Yes, music is going on all the time. <laughs> and I think there is this quality of which I think also accentuates, having that dichotomy accentuates those shapes that appear to be moving. So I'm sure that that's the music coming across. I know it's the music that's coming across uh, that ends up showing in the work. <laughs> and this is the way I've been working, gosh, since the beginning of time. When I was talking earlier about working in my bed, on my bed, in my bedroom, I had a stereo in, you know, in elementary school. I had a stereo in my room, so I don't ever remember working without music. Music has been a part of my, my life and my work since the beginning. Yeah, it's wonderful. And what, what materials do you use in your work? Well, since the 90s, um, I've been working in earnest with mylar and oils, you know, and this is a, a mylar that the architects began to use back in the late 50s and 60s because it is really tough stuff. It's plastic and it's slightly transparent and it has a frosted texture. I'm using the mylar 
with the one-sided frosted texture, which allows for the pigments to adhere to this sort of tooth, to this texture. I actually saw Mylar, my very first time seeing it was at the Cooper Hewitt Museum. It was an exhibition of architectural drawings by Frank Lloyd Wright's students from his school at Taliesin. And these drawings were so beautiful on the Mylar. Um, the pencil drawings appeared to be like poured black butter. There was a soft line. It wasn't a hard edged line. It was a soft line. And I was so taken. I walked up to the curator's door and I know you're supposed to make an appointment for the curator, but I just knocked on the door and a lovely woman answered and said, oh yeah, you can go to the art store and get sheets of mylar and architects have been using this because of course the tracing paper is so delicate and thin that when they would go to their sites, it would tear and rip. Anyway, I went out immediately and got a sheet of mylar, but it wasn't until the nineties that I really did start to work on mylar. And I have not worked on any other surface since. I can paint on it, I can draw on it. It's great for my collages that I love to put directly on the wall because it doesn't tear like paper, but yet it's stiffer than canvas. And the other thing about mylar, because if you can imagine, it is plastic. Whatever you put on that surface, none of the paint, none of the pigment is going to soak into the surface like paper. Or even when you prime a canvas with gesso, there's still a certain amount of oil paint that's going to soak into the... No, with mylar, what you paint on mylar is what you get. There's no soaking in because, again, it's a plastic surface. And I love that. And I love the feel of the brush as it goes across that smooth surface. It's just, it's really quite wonderful to, to experience. I love it. Do you handle most of your installations? I do. I do. Um, I'm using archival double-sided tape uh, to put these pieces up. And I actually glue them with the double-sided tape also, because of course I need to glue these shapes together. So what I will do is I'll actually glue the painted shapes onto a big piece of mylar to hold it all together. And then I actually use, again, the double-sided tape to adhere it onto the wall. Oh, very creative. Wow. I like, I like the immediacy of that, I have to say. I like this idea of not having a frame or any kind of stretcher bars. or any, It's just the work and the wall. I, I, I really like the immediacy of that. Well, transportation must be a lot less expensive, huh? <laughs> That's right. If it was on stretchers, you've got to build a crate. You've got this, that, and the other. Exactly. This, I could just sandwich it between uh, two pieces of a foam core, you know. And uh, in fact, when I exhibited in Syria and Japan, and I had big pieces in both places, I was, you know, sandwiching it between. Uh, and oh, also these big pieces break down, too. You know, a piece may be uh, 13 feet width by nine feet, which is the large wall that I have in my studio. But the piece will break down into sections. So I don't even have to deal with a large 
be a huge piece of, of foam core to sandwich it in between, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the transporting is a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So how, how do you keep learning? You know, I think for all artists, it's about going out and seeing other artists' works. Um, it's so interesting. I've been on the New York scene now for, well, since the late 70s. And there were times where I felt like it just wasn't a lot of interesting stuff going on. I'm going to tell you right now, Phyllis, I've seen some fantastic works of art. And I think a lot of it has to do with the materiality. People are using some really amazing materials, you know, embroidery and sewing and fabrics, and it's just rich and lush. I think it's a very exciting time. It's, it's, it's ripe. It truly is ripe right now. And again, I've been on the scene for a while. I've, I've seen the ups and the downs. But I would say this is, this is a pretty remarkable time right now. So I would tell all artists, all young people especially, go out to the galleries, go to the museums, yeah. you know, so you can be on the edge. And I do like artists who are inventive, I have to admit. You know, so the Chikaya Booker's working with, you know, tires in the way that she does, you know, is just incredible. I love seeing um, creatives being very inventive in their materials. So definitely going out to see work, but of course reading, doing as much reading as you can. And I think if you can uh, find a core group of artists that you can network with and talk with and exchange ideas with, I think that also keeps you fresh. Do you think black art can be defined? You know, I guess black art is any art made by a black person. I, you know, I don't think it really can be defined very well because, of course, if you're white and you put a black figure in your painting, you know, someone who doesn't know who you are might think you're a black artist. But, you're not, you know, so I guess black art is any art that's made by a black person. OK, that's the way I see it. But, yeah, I don't I don't think it can be defined because we are not a myopic people. Yeah, we have artists who are minimalist conceptualist, um, you know, of course, figuration, which is really big right now, abstract. And these are, black folks have been doing this for ages. We've been creating for a long time. (laughs) So tell me, what are you excited about right now? I'm excited about all these young people coming out of schools and just, you know, and I'm gonna speak to African-American artists in particular, and, you know, really um, doing so well and, and just feeling themselves and, and great ideas. Very happy to see my generation and the people before me finally being recognized, you know. And in some cases, of course, I'm sorry that uh, folks weren't able to live a little bit longer to see some of these different venues that they're being seen in and, um, you know, of course, people who I knew very well, like Ed Clark, um, Al Loving, my mentor. Um, finally, their work being looked at and being discussed. Art historians really trying to uh, investigate and, and see all the different periods because 
you know, when I think of someone like Al Loving, who was doing those cube paintings and then moved from that to the, what I really believe were quilts, because he does talk about his grandmother and how he would help her to cut the fabric for her quilts, you know, people are finally finding out just the richness of these artists, Howardina Pendel, you know, the list goes on and on, Mavis Pusey, just so many people. It's just, it's a long list, but I'm just so pleased to see that folks are beginning to, to look at these people and it's, art historians are writing about them. Um, I know that the Smithsonian has begun to try to get the papers of a lot of these artists. Uh, I just gave my papers to the Smithsonian, uh, my papers from 1972 to 2014, so that people will be able to go online and see more and read more about my work and where I've shown. I have letters from Ed Clark and, and letters from Ernie Critchlow and different artists, uh, Al Loving. No one stopped making art, you know? Everyone just, even though they might not have been you know, showing and exhibiting and being acknowledged. We were, we're artists to the, to the core. Yeah. You were, you were working. Mm-hmm. You were working. I've loved this conversation. It's been informative, insightful, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, not only on your practice, but on, on your peers. Um, so this is our last question. And that is, what do you feel is the purpose of art and what is your role as an artist? I think the purpose of art has many different uh, levels here. And I think this idea of uplifting, uplifting one's soul, uh, giving a sense of promise and hope. I think art is to inform. Art is to ask questions, maybe not answering them, but asking pertinent questions of the time. There are just many many reasons um, that art is so important. And that covers all art, whether we're talking about dance or music or what. Um, I think it helps us, it buoys us. It helps us to go through our days, these troubled days. You know, if you have a beautiful work of art in your home to look at, if you're lucky enough, it's that work that can just keep you going, keep the energy going keep the positive vibes uh, flowing. That's what I'm hoping to do with my work also, of course. Yes, no, you're so right. There's nothing like passing a beautiful work of art, something that uh, when you looked at it, you wanted to live with it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Jeanette. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.